Thank you, Tracy Spencer, this uh, uncle who's a pastor in Lubbock, Texas, and we rejoice with this family. I love the way planted and raised because as we think together about the way of Jesus Christ, I saw this this week. See, Kevin Rowe wrote, the way is about resurrection from first to last. We come now to the final mention of the way in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 24, verses 22 to 27, would you stand with me in reverence for our God and his word? Surely he has a word for his people today. Let's not miss that word. This is the way proclaimed by Paul procrastinated by Felix. Verse 22, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I'll decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Felix's name means happy. That was not probably originally his name. He was born into slavery with a twin brother named Pallas. And Pallas and Felix eventually acquired their freedom, and Felix moved all the way into this position of procurator. He's a governor. He's a Roman-appointed, think almost like a king there in that area. And he did not have a good reputation. How do we know that? Well, there were Jewish historians like Josephus. There were Roman historians like Tacitus and Suetonius who told about him that he was not a particularly good person, but he was the one who presided over Paul's trial. And as we saw last week, when Paul comes into this place and, and uh, Tertullus makes this flowery speech and flatters uh, Felix, he thinks that Felix will turn Paul back over to the Jewish authorities and they would have taken Paul's life just like they took Stephen's life, just like they took Jesus' life. But Felix does not allow that. Instead, he says, let's give him a little bit more freedom. He's kind of under house arrest. We'll keep him under guard. And the surprising thing is then that he comes back and he invites Paul to come and preach. And when Paul comes and preaches to him, he listens closely. And there comes a moment of what we can only call 
conviction, a deep, holy trembling before the Lord. But Felix remembers he's in charge of this proceeding, so he says to Paul, yeah, that's enough for today. Enough about righteousness. Enough about my lack of self-control. Enough about the judgment that is to come. I'll call you back. Don't call me. I'll call you. And he dismisses Paul. But he believes Paul has wealth and that Paul could give him a bribe. And so he brings him back periodically. And Luke doesn't tell us if he ever felt that conviction again. What he says to Paul is, I'll call you back at a more convenient time. Like Paul, when we see that our faith is put on trial, we ought to be earnest about it. We might think that Paul's greatest goal in this moment was to get himself free. What does Paul need from the government? He needs to be set free. This might have been a chance when he would have said, and you need to let us Christians have more freedom than we have. But Paul is more concerned about Felix's soul than he is about his own freedom. And that drives him to speak the truth to power, and it drives Felix to push him away till a more convenient time. I don't know about your experience, but I have not found that the gospel of Jesus Christ is particularly convenient. It doesn't really fit into my plans, but I fit into his plans. So in this passage, we may look at it and see this final reference to the way in the book of Acts and think, well, they're kind of waiting on the way. Maybe we're waiting on the way for God to do something. But this passage seems to say, actually, the way is waiting on us. Remember uh, Warren Mingledorf, that wonderful Nazarene preacher who used to pray with me at my second church. I went back and and did a funeral there recently for Juanita, one of the leaders in that church. Her three granddaughters were there. They said, could we gather in the worship center? Could we sing holding hands? There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. I hadn't been back to that church in 20-something years. But as I drove away that day, I happened to look down in the pasture, and there was Warren Mingledorf's house. And he was the one who prayed with me on Friday mornings and would always pray Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. May the pastor hear a voice over his shoulder saying, This is the way. Walk in it. I got online because you can find stuff out these days. Warren Mingledorf lived until last year. He was 97 years old, still walking in the way. So today, if the way comes your way, how will you respond to it? This story shows us some possibilities. First, we could um, be familiar with the way. I'm intrigued, are you, when it says in verses 22 and 23 that Felix 
when this trial is going on, Felix knows about the way. I suppose that means because he's been a governor in that area, he realizes there is this explosive expansion of the gospel and all of these, all of these people are beginning to follow Jesus Christ and that in itself gives him a familiarity with the way. He is, the NRSV says, rather well informed about the way. The ESV says, Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way. But be careful, as Geoffrey Chaucer said, in a little bit more flowery old English, familiarity can breed contempt. I was thinking about 24 years ago, a young man who turns 30 today was in a Sunday school class about 24 years ago. It was his first Sunday in Sunday school at Tallowood, and he said to his teacher, and I quote, this is my last Sunday here. And the teacher said, okay, and why is that? And he said, we have the Jesus video at home. I already know all this stuff. So my son Chase turns 30 today. That's how I know that story. And I, I think about how we can become so familiar. We're reading in my D group on Thursdays at lunch, uh, Louis Giglio's book, Don't Let the Enemy Have a Seat at Your Table. And in that book, he tells a story that I've heard him tell in a sermon about how at Georgia State University, when he was an undergraduate, he took a course in geology. He studied Mount Rainier. He wrote a research project, I believe, on Mount Rainier. He knew everything there was, every nook, every cranny. He learned everything. He said, I aced the test on Mount Rainier. And then there came that day when I was able with a friend to go and visit Mount Rainier. They got there in the evening, couldn't see anything, went to sleep in their tent, woke up the next morning. And when he looked out at Mount Rainier, he said, I had all these things I wanted to explain to my friend about Mount Rainier, but all I could do was weep because when I saw the real Mount Rainier, well, everything I thought I knew suddenly didn't matter anymore. We live in a culture where the gospel is readily available. People. People know about Jesus. People think they know about Jesus. I saw a living water video. Have you seen these videos where the guy, I think it's an Australian accent, and he interviews these people, and this guy says, I know, all, I know more about the Bible than you do. He says, for instance, if I believe what you believe, if I died, my brother would have to marry my wife. And all of you Christians practice that. And the Australian said, what are you talking about? He said, no, don't tell me. Don't confuse me with the facts. I know. Look, you could know about the way. I dare say you could have a Ph.D. in religion and still not know the way, the person of the way. So in your pursuit and acquisition of knowledge about the way, I hope you won't stop until 
you come to know him. And I think of Paul writing to the Philippians and he says, after years of ministry, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The way is about resurrection. It's about Jesus' resurrection and it's about our resurrection, our God is a life-giving God. And if you've not received life from him, it really doesn't matter what you know about him until you come to know him. We could become familiar with the way. I, I notice that in the story, Felix is not only familiar with the way, but he's a bit frightened by the way. Do you see that in verses 24 and 25? He's the one, I love this, he invites, he invites Paul to come and speak to him and Drusilla. There are other texts that say it was Drusilla's initiative, we should know about her, that she was the daughter of that same Herod Agrippa I who had the voice like the voice of a god in Acts chapter 12. And he, he spoke and they said, not the voice of a man, the voice of God. And because he didn't give God glory, he died. Eaten by worms, Luke says. I don't know what that means, but he died. This is his daughter. He had three daughters. This one was the most beautiful one. Married when she was 16 years old to a king. But when Felix saw her, he had to have her. And so he sent a magician to go and convince her to leave her husband, a lesser king, to become his wife and when Paul begins to preach, he preaches about faith, about trust in Christ. But as he preaches, he, he tells them the truth. Paul speaks truth to power. And what he says is, so there is this thing called righteousness, being made right with God. He could have said, you're not a very just ruler. That was certainly true. He had had Jonathan, the high priest, killed by these, uh, these uh, assassins. He, he certainly could have taken him to task for not being... He crucif Felix crucified a lot of people. And, and Paul could have taken him to task for that. But I, I rather suspect this is more like the book of Romans. This is more like uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, where Paul says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We could be right with God. He didn't stop there. He preached about self-control. And the Roman historians of that time tell us that neither Drusilla, I don't know, when you think of Drusilla, I was talking with a friend of mine who's on a business trip right now. He said, I always thought of Drusilla kind of like Cruella, you know, like probably not a really attractive person. But the historians say she was drop dead gorgeous. And Drusilla and Felix, neither Neither of them showed much self-control. You know, self-control is one in, in Paul's list, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control comes ultimately from God. And finally, he, he said something about judgment, but not just about judgment, judgment that is to come. That implied that Felix could, would answer for the decisions he had made and here's what I would say about that. When we think about judgment, and I wish, you know, every week I go home and say, I, I wish I'd said this or I wish I'd said that. Here's what I believe about the second coming of Christ. I believe the early church knew 
that Jesus Christ was going to return. I also believe that they knew they didn't know when. And I also believe that because of that, they chose to live right. I have friends who are experts in this. I have a friend who's been writing a book for years. It's a powerful. He just studied it. He understands so much about it. He was telling me about it recently, and I said, how then shall we live? If Christ could return at any moment, how then shall we live? And when Paul preaches to Felix about the judgment to come, he realizes Felix's soul is on the line. Like Richard Baxter, the apostle Paul could say, and I might say, I preach as one who may never preach again, as a dying man to dying men. So how then shall we preach? That This gospel was apparently in some way um, not only familiar to Felix, but it was frightening in a way. The, the third response we might make is just try to find a way to fit it into our lives. So Felix said, well, I, you know, I'll bring you back at a more convenient time. I appreciate what you're saying, Paul, but I just, you know, this, this is not a, a really convenient time for me. And so he sends Paul away and he procrastinates making a decision about the way. And I just want to be a, a voice this morning to say, in that moment when the Spirit of God stirs within us a holy fear, that is not the time to to kick the can down the road. That's not the time to say, well, I'll, I'll do that someday. If there's something you were thinking about doing for God, this would be the time to do it. Because as Luke records it, Paul never gets back to that place of conviction. And by conviction, I don't mean guilt. I don't believe God wants us to live with endless guilt about our past mistakes. I know for sure everyone in this room has made mistakes. And I don't believe God wants us just to live with this guilt about that. And I don't believe God wants us to live with perpetual shame. But there are moments, well, the old King James says about Felix in this passage, he trembled when he heard the truth. Soren Kierkegaard, namesake of one of our, our young boys who was down here singing this morning, Soren. Soren Kierkegaard said, when the echo comes back to you after you preach, away with this man, he does not deserve to live, then you know you've preached the Christianity of the New Testament. In other words, this conviction, this depth comes from, another thing Kierkegaard said, purity is to will one thing. What does Paul want? It reminds me, as you and I relate in our world to others, that there's this always this sort of uh, social uh, lubricant where we're always trying to grease the skids, get something from somebody, and it occurs to me that we might want something from our government and our government might want something from us and it strikes me sometimes that it's a it's a bit of a, a quid pro quo relationship it's it's a bit of a, a relationship in which we scratch their back and they scratch ours it's a a kind of oh how shall how shall I put it we have this sort of symbiotic relationship where we use the government and the government sometimes uses us but Paul's clarity about his great desire for Felix was that Felix would actually 
come to know and follow the way. And isn't it interesting that, that given the chance, Felix pushes it away. Pastor Kerry Tillman, my pastor friend down in Galveston who, who lets me preach down there every January in a, in a Gates Institute. And every night they give an invitation. And, you know, it's kind of an older tradition, but they bring anxious seats and they put the chairs, they put the chairs there and let, and let people, if they will, come and respond to the message. And at the end of the invitation, this is what Pastor Tillman always says. He says, it's ours to offer. It's yours to accept or reject. What is it that God has told us to do? And when exactly are we planning on doing it? In the moment between knowing what God wants us to do and actually doing it, there is a, a moment that can last a lifetime or an eternity. Edgar Albert Guest in the little poem called Tomorrow says, something similar. He was going to be all that a mortal should be tomorrow. No one would be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew, who'd be glad of a lift and who needed it to, on him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he stacked up the letters he'd write tomorrow and thought of the folks he would fill with delight tomorrow it was too bad indeed he was busy today and hadn't a minute to stop on his way more time he would have to give to others he'd say tomorrow the greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow the world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow but the fact is he died and he faded from view and all that he left here when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Come back at a more convenient time. And I want to be a voice to say, I'm not sure the way of Christ is ever going to be convenient for us. And in that moment of holy fear, I pray that we will not take for granted what God is trying to do. Anybody else here when you were young? I remember when I was young, we used to play marbles. Anybody remember that? I had, uh, I had uh, clearies. They were kind of clear and steelies and agates. And you had a little circle there in the dirt. And you would, you know, and you would. And I was thinking about those marbles the other day. And it's like a lot of things. I was thinking, whatever happened to those marbles? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he's lost his... But I remember Vance Havner years ago telling about a missionary who came upon some boys playing in another country and they were playing their own version of marbles and he thought, isn't that interesting? This must be bigger than American. It must go to other countries in the world. But when he looked closely, the boys in fact were playing marbles with diamonds. And they had no idea because they had lots of diamonds and they were just playing. They're playing the same game, but they had no idea. And it strikes me that it is possible to hear the truth about Jesus Christ day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and never allow it to take root in our souls and change us. But there is, after all, as Paul said, going to be a judgment to come. As R.G. Lee used to preach, there will be a payday someday. And by the way, 
How will it be for you on that day? And the answer has to do with what you choose to do with the way, Jesus Christ. You can be familiar, you can be frightened, you can try to fit him into your, your life, or ultimately you can follow in his way. And the rest of the story is, this must have been around 58 or 59 AD, who cares? About 20 years later, Drusilla, the woman who heard Paul preach that day, and her son with Felix, his name was Agrippa, were in a resort town. And there was a beautiful mountain in the background, fine works of art, murals, great places to eat. It was the, the toast of the ancient Roman world on August the 4th of 79 AD until the mountain erupted. Mount Vesuvius erupted. And Pompeii and Drusilla and her son Agrippa, like everybody else in the town, was covered with the lava and the ash of that mountain. And did they or did they not follow the way when he was presented to them? I know, I know your answer, God knows. I know God knows. But I don't want you to wonder as you leave this morning about what I want. I know God knows. But I wonder, do we know Jesus Christ who is the way? You have only one life. It will soon be passed. And only what is done for Christ will last. And whatever you were planning to do tomorrow, hear my voice when I say, like the Apostle Paul speaking, like Felix's life depended upon it, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And what will you do with Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because nobody, but nobody, gets to the Father except through him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus who made a way for us to come to you by laying down his life on the cross. You made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God of resurrection, we pray that the spirit who raised Christ from the dead will live in us so that like Gabriella and Rahel and Giles, we might be raised today to live a new life. In the name of Jesus, the way, truth, and life, we pray. Amen.